Genesis chapter 36, we read of Esau, Edom, and the reprobate. Now, these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna, and the granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite. Al-Sabasamath, Israel's daughter, uh, excuse me, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Adah bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basamath bore Ruel. And Aholibamah bore Jeush, and Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and his livestock and all his cattle and all his goods which he had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to another land away from his brother Jacob. For their property had become too great for them to live together and the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir, Esau, is Edom. These then are the records of the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Adah, Ruel, the son of Esau's wife, Basma. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, and Gatam, and Kanaz. And Timnah was a concubine of Esau's son, Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Adah. And these are the sons of Ruel, Nahath and Zerah, Shammah and Mizah. These were the sons of Esau's wife, Basamah. And these were the sons of Esau's wife, Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna and the granddaughter of Zibion. She bore to Esau, Jeush and Jalam and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, are Chief Teman, Chief Omar, Chief Zepho, Chief Kenaz, Chief Korah, Chief Gatam, Chief Amalek. These are the chiefs descended from Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. And these are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son. Chief Nahath, Chief Zerah, Chief Shammah, Chief Mizah. These are the chiefs descended from Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Basamat. And these are the sons of Esau's wife, Oholibamah, Chief Jeush, Chief Jalam, Chief Korah. These are the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Oholibamah, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Esau's, sons of Esau, that is, Edom. And these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan and Shobal and Zibion and Anna, and Dishon and Ezer and Dishan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, the sons of Seir, in the land of Edom. And the sons of Lotan were Hori and Hamam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. And these are the sons of Shobal, Alvan and Manahath and Ebal, Shepho and Onam. And these are the sons of Zibion, Aya and Anna. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness when he was pasturing the donkeys of his father, Zibion. And these are the children of Anna, Dishon and Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna. And these are the sons of Dishon, Hamdan and Eshban and Ithran and Haran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan and Zaavan, 
and Akan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aram. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, Chief Lotan, Chief Shobal, Chief Zibion, Chief Anna, Chief Dishan, Chief Ezer, Chief Dishan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites according to their various chiefs in the land of Seir. Now, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Bela, the son of Baor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Din Haba. Then Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, became king in his place. Then Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites became king in his place. Then Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the field of Moab, became king in his place. And the name of his city was Avit. Then Hadad died, and Samlah of Masrekah became king in his place. Then Samlah died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates River became king in his place. Then Shaul died, and Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, became king in his place. Then Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar became king in his place. And the name of his city was Pau. And his wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. Now these are the names of the chiefs descended from Esau, according to their families and their localities by their names. Chief Timnah, Chief Alva, Chief Jeheth, Chief Aholibama, Chief Elah, Chief Pinon, Chief, Chief Kanaz, Chief Teman, Chief Mibzar, Chief Magdiel, Chief Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. Amen. Well, a few questions arise from this chapter. A few questions arise, common questions that arise. Why is this chapter here in the Bible, or specifically in the book of Genesis? Why is it here? We'll see that it is here, properly placed, as is typical, to list the genealogy of the reprobate, and then to move on to the righteous. A brief genealogy of the reprobate and then to move on to the righteous. This happened in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and then a longer genealogy in chapter 5 with Adam and his descendants. This also happens in the book of Genesis chapter 25 with Ishmael. Ishmael's genealogy is there, briefly mentioned. And then we move on to Isaac and the attention is on Isaac. And also here, we have this whole chapter devoted to Esau's lineage and descendants. And then we're going to read from 37 to 50 in the book of Genesis, all about Joseph and Jacob and what happens in that family. This is typical of the structure of the book of Genesis. And even throughout Scripture, sometimes the, the wicked are mentioned, mentioned in brief. And then we move on to what God says about the righteous. That's one of the reasons why this is here and in the, this way. But we'll also see that it has to do with the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The proper place of Esau in reference to Jacob, especially Jacob, since Jacob and Esau were brothers, how they in their lifetime and beyond that. 
Another issue that comes up is God's establishment of boundaries. His establishment of territories, boundaries, and nations, which is very clear and evident from this chapter. Then a third issue that will come up is whether Esau is unsaved or saved. Was Esau, the patriarch, the man, was he forever saved or forever lost? There are different opinions on that matter. And then fourthly, common grace. Common grace. Is this chapter an evidence of God's common grace or not? Is that doctrine or belief of common grace a biblical belief or is it not? These are some of the broader issues that come about from this chapter. Let's review some of the highlights of the the chapter and then go into greater detail about the, the promises and the other issues. 36. It's very clear from verse 1, verses 8 and 9, verse 19, and then the last verse, verse 43, that Esau and Edom are interchangeable words, interchangeable names. Esau, in Genesis chapter 25, excuse me, Genesis chapter 25, verses 25 and 30, 25, 25, and 30, this man Esau was a twin brother, the oldest of the twin brothers of Jacob and Esau from Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah had these two twins. Esau was his name given to him at birth because he was born as a hairy baby. And therefore, Esau means hairy. Also, later in life, when Esau wanted the soup, the lentil soup, the red lentil soup that Jacob, his brother, had made and sold his birthright, he was then named, given another name called Edom. So the Esau man, the man Esau, birth name Esau, adult name Edom, both of these were his names. However, we'll see in the rest of Scripture Mostly, not exclusively, but mostly such as in this chapter. That's why Moses emphasizes this point, that Edom becomes the name primarily of Esau's descendants as a tribe and a a nation. That's the way that the scripture will designate Edom. Edom is more a reference to the nation, not to the man. And then Esau will more often be a designation of the man and not the nation. Not exclusively, we will see an exception of that in the book of Malachi, Malachi 1, 1 to 5. But primarily that is the way. So don't be confused, in other words, about who we're talking about. Let the context make it clear whether we're talking about the man, the patriarch, or we're talking about his nation that descended from him later in in history. Another matter is in verses 2 to 5, or 2 to uh, 6. That is, in verses 2 to 6, Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. From the daughters of Canaan. You recall that in Genesis 24 and in Genesis 28, the patriarchs were told that they should not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And we saw the tragedy of chapter 34 
when Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of Canaan and what happened to her. And she was defiled and then there was a massacre of the inhabitants of the city and that a whole disaster or series of disasters occurred in Genesis 34. This is a reminder that believers should not marry unbelievers, but unbelievers will happily marry other unbelievers, which Esau did. He married the daughters of the land, the daughters of Canaan, the idolaters of Canaan. And their names are mentioned here. He had um, at least three wives, according to the names presented here in verses two to six. Well, then it says in verse six that Esau took all of his possessions, his clan and all of his possessions, and he left the land of Canaan, Canaan proper, and went just outside the land of Canaan, southeast of the land of Canaan, south of the Dead Sea, to the land called Seir. It was originally called Seir. We notice that from verses 20 to 21. There was a man of the Horites. Hor or Hur, outside the scripture, the same ethnic group and nation and tribe outside the Bible, they are called the Hurrians. H-U-R-R-I-A-N-S. The Hurrians. In the Bible, they're called the Horites. Usually, from one language to another, if there aren't consonantal changes, there will certainly be vowelic changes, such as the uh, transposition or difference of a O or a U and other kinds of vowels like that. So, in the Bible, the Horites is outside the Bible, the Hurrians. And here, the Horite, it says in verse 20, the sons of Seir, the Horite. That means his ancestor was named Hor or Hor. And he, his name was Seir. He was first the inhabitant and then he first became a populous tribe and nation in that region. Well, by this time, there is a mixture, as we see in our reading of the passage, uh, a mixture of the Horites and the Edomites living here in this land. The Horites and the Edomites. Edom, or Esau, he transferred from Canaan to this land that eventually in history will be called the land of Edom because it says in verses six and seven, he had so much wealth, so many possessions that the land of Canaan would not sustain him and Jacob. God had so blessed Esau also so, so that Esau and Jacob, we know, they both had many material possessions, many people and many material possessions. And that's the temporal that's the physical, that's the immediate, visible reason why Edom went to another land. But we also note that whenever this kind of thing happens, all of this is by the providence of God. This is something we will emphasize and, and note in the next hour, that by the providence of God, people establish families and tribes and nations, territories, boundaries, it all happens by the providence of God. It doesn't happen merely by human desires or human win, uh, whim or human will. Yes, those are factors, but ultimately by the providence of God. Then, 
verses 10 and following. Among Esau's sons, we see in verse 10, one Eliphaz. That name Eliphaz may ring a bell to you from the book of Job. There was an Eliphaz the Temanite. Eliphaz the Temanite who lived in the land of Job or in that area in the land of Uz, which also happens to be mentioned here in Genesis 36, 28. But we'll comment more on that later. But firstly, Eliphaz. This Eliphaz, it cannot be the, the same as the other one in the book of Job. In the book of Job, it has to be a generation or two later, relatively in the same period of Abraham, but not a contemporary of Abraham or before Abraham because of what we have right here. Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Adah. Now, that name is a name associated with that region, and there must have been some linkage in the genealogy between the later Eliphaz and this Eliphaz. We also notice in verse 11, the sons of Eliphaz were Teman. And this was a locality, a city or district in the land of Edom or in the land of Uz, according to the book of Job. Job chapter 2, verse 11. Eliphaz was from this city or district called Teman. We note definitively that this has to be in this land of Edom because of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 4, excuse me, Lamentations chapter uh, 4 and verse 20. In the book of Lamentations, we have a reference to 4.21, a reference to Uz and Edom. So Job, Uz, and Edom are all associated with the same place, the same nation, according to Lamentations 4.21 and the book of Genesis. Furthermore, I mentioned verse 28, this name Uz. When we see this name, it's not the first time here in the book of Genesis. It first occurs in Genesis 10, 23. He was a son of Aram, and Aram was a son of Shem. Shem was a son of Noah. That's the first time we find it in the book of Genesis 10, 23. We find it again in 22, 21, among the relatives of Abraham, who also was a descendant of Shem. So this name is associated with uh, the Semitic peoples, and it later becomes the name of the land of Edom, uh, the original name of the land of Edom. So we have the Horites living there. It's the land of Uz. And it's later in history, in biblical history, called the land of Edom. All of these are real and historical places, interrelated because of the descendants of Shem. That's their relationship. A word of clarification in verse 24. In verse 24, if you are using the King James Version, the King James Version of verse 24 may say, 
that he is the Anna who um, invented mules or discovered mules, invented or created mules. Mules are a combination of uh, the copulation of donkeys and horses. That's how we have mules. And that is probably, most likely, contrary to God's intention, contrary to nature, because animals and people are to reproduce after their kind and not to intermingle. This is one reason why uh, an ox and a donkey were not supposed to be plowing together or working together so that they not copulate. So, the King James Version says that he found or created the mule. However, this word in the original language does not necessarily mean mule, but can mean springs or hot springs. Hot springs, which the New American Standard Bible translates it hot springs. In one ancient version, in the old Latin version, it also says hot springs. And, and so it's likely, I think it's better that it was hot springs. Why? Because these hot springs are discovered in the wilderness, in the desert. And that would be notable that somebody would find hot springs in some place where you don't expect to find water. Furthermore, it says, when he was pasturing the donkeys of his father, Zibion. The words for mule and donkey are distinct words in Hebrew. And the word for, there is a word for mule, and that word is not here in verse 24. So there is no need to look at a, a word that looks ambiguous in terms of its meaning and then conclude that it means mule when there is another word in Hebrew for mule that is not found here. So if Moses wanted to say mules, he could have easily used that word for mules. Furthermore, when it says um, ana found, the word to find in Hebrew is exclusively the word to find. It's not the word to invent or to create. The word in Hebrew to find means to find, and it does not have any connotations of inventiveness or creation. So that's why I think it's better to take this to mean he found hot springs. Now, of course, we are dealing with the wicked and the reprobate here. So it is possible that the reprobate would try to mix creatures and be inventive that way. That's not denying that they might want to do that. The question is whether that's what it, whether Moses is telling us that or not. And I think it, he's more telling us what he found in the wilderness and how they were able to survive there because this area of Mount Seir is a barren and rocky place. There aren't very many places to grow food. There aren't very many places to grow food in this barren and rocky place. Next we come to 
verses 31 to 39. In 31 to 39, it says, These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. This one verse, which we also have a counterpart in 1 Chronicles 1.43, this one verse has been a stumbling block to many interpreters of, of the Scriptures, especially unbelieving interpreters and skeptics of the Bible. They say here, how is it possible for Moses to have written this when in the time of Moses there was no king? And it took hundreds of years after Moses, three to four hundred years after Moses, for there to be any king in Israel. The first king being King Saul. So skeptics see this verse and say, Moses could not have written this. This is an unreliable account. This is a mere fabrication. Moses did not write this. These people and places did not exist. At least most of them did not exist. And therefore, we can't trust this account. Well, the problem, the problem with that assertion is Moses has already been telling us that Israel will have kings. He's already told us that Israel will have kings in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 17, 8, he told Abraham that. And in 17, 16, he also said that Sarah, her, among her descendants, there would be kings. Kings coming from Abraham and Sarah. Back in Genesis chapter 17. Then in Genesis 35, 11, Genesis 35, 11, it says, God speaks to Jacob. And he says, God also said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. Kings shall come forth from you. Well, if Abraham and Sarah are told that kings will come from them, wasn't Esau their grandson? Yes. And even Jacob is told here that among his descendants in the nation of Israel that there would be kings. So Esau knows that that potential is there, and Jacob knows that that potential is there. And Moses knows because Moses is writing the book of Genesis. Moses wrote Genesis according to Luke 24, 25 to 27. Because Jesus said, beginning with Moses, which means the book of Genesis, and in all the scriptures, he explained uh, the things concerning himself. So, and that was what Moses wrote, according to Christ. Furthermore, in Genesis 49, 10, Genesis 49, 10, we have a prophecy of King Messiah, of Christ our King. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. All the peoples of the world shall obey him, obey Christ, because he will be the ultimate king, the king of kings. And one more notice of kingship in Moses, that Moses anticipated it in the nation, is in Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, 14 
to 20. Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. Moses gives the people the law of kingship. He gives to them the law of kingship. When in, in time they have a king, they establish a king, this is what the king is supposed to do or not do. It says in 17, 14, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. And so forth. So Moses predicts that this will happen. There's no surprise. So in anticipation, in Genesis 36, 31, Moses says that there were kings in the land of Edom hundreds of years before there was any king established in the land of Israel, or the land of Canaan, for the nation of Israel. And why so? Because God prospered Esau's descendants quickly, more quickly than Israel, or Jacob's descendants. That's one. Another reason, Israel descendants were supposed to be slaves in the land of Egypt for a while, and not be able to be their own nation, until the time Moses would deliver them, and take them back to the land of Canaan. Only then would they establish themselves as a nation and have the potential of having their own king. See, these are the di different circumstances why there was a delay in Israel, but prosperity in terms of kingship for Edom, sooner than Israel. We also note in this section that in this chapter, first, the sons of Esau, sons and grandsons of Esau are mentioned. Then it's mentioned that they became chiefs. At least most of them became chiefs, which means they became chiefs of tribes, right? Chiefs of clans and tribes. And then eventually, those tribes became a nation. And then they needed a king, or they wanted a king, to rule over all of the clans and tribes within the nation of Edom. That's the uh, progression that takes place. Um, sons, families, clans, tribes, then the nation, and then therefore a king. That's something similar to what happened to Israel. Israel first existed in the land of Canaan, under judges and under decentralized tribes. Decentralized tribes, and they needed judges on occasion to deliver them from their enemies. So it happened that way to them in Israel. Then eventually they have kingship in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapters 8 to 12, the establishment of the first king. Okay, then in verse 43, verse 43, there's a, a key word that's mentioned here. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. Habitations in the land of their possession. We will see later 
that this is a, an intentional word used here, which we'll, we will see later in Scripture. That the habitation or possession, the territory they inherit is not happenstance. There's no accident. Yes, human involvement is necessary, but it's ultimately of a divine appointment, a divine origin, why one nation lives in a certain place and another nation in another place, all by the hand of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.